Hey everybody, it's Josh here, and you're listening to Theology and Reality, the podcast where we cover topics in Catholic theology and philosophy, great works of literature, cultural commentary, and more. Today's episode is brought to you by me, since we don't have a sponsor for the show. Still open to that, so if you're out there, let me know. If you've been following the show, or you're signed up to the Substack, you'll know that we recently finished up our series on Mariology that ran about somewhere close to 15 to 20 episodes, and we also just finished up another one of our book miniseries, this time on Alice von Hildebrand's book Man and Woman. Today we start on the very first episode of our new series dedicated to Christian spirituality, so over the next few weeks and months, that's what we'll be focused on. I'll be talking about what we really mean when we talk about spirituality, how that's related to scripture and theology, the stages that the individual soul advances through on its way towards God, how our prayer life is integrated into all that, and much more. One final note, this first episode is free. It's publicly available. Obviously, you're listening to it right now. But the majority of the episodes for the rest of this series will be available for paid subscribers. So if this is something you're interested in, please consider becoming a member of Theology and Realities community in that way. The more subscribers we have, the more content I can put out there, and the closer we can get to my goal of eventually making the entire Substack and podcast content available to everyone. If that's something you'd like to invest in, you can find the link in the episode notes. As before, thanks so much for listening. Great to have you here. Let's dive in. So I I would have liked to give you an overview of what we'll do the whole term, but to be honest, I don't know what we're going to do the whole term yet. So uh, the first couple weeks, at least, we'll be doing more of like a macro sort of overview, and then my hope is the last few weeks to be more specific, maybe with specific, uh, specific figures, specific thinkers, uh, specific, you know, uh, great spiritual writers. That's the plan, at least. Uh, so I think that's I think that's where we'll end up. But for at least the first couple weeks, we'll stick to a more uh, macro approach for spirituality in general. So like I said, I was going to print this out and give it to everyone. Uh, hopefully, maybe next week I'll I'll print it out and give it to you anyway. I don't think we'll get through the whole thing today. In any case, so where to begin? So part one today. We'd like to just talk about the nature of spiritual theology and the relation of grace to the soul. So there's there'll be kind of a, a back and forth between. So it will we'll get we'll get to this I think later today, right? What's what do we call spirituality, right? It's kind of a broad term. Um, you know, one one of the difficulties of attempting to prepare lectures for this term was you know, lectures on spirituality and lectures on grace, right? You'd be hard-pressed to kind of find two, like, broader topics or terms than those two, right? So, traditionally, as I'm sure you're aware, theology was a single science, right? The way that we think about theology today is usually, well, what kind, right? You know, what did you do your dissertation on? Or what's your area of study? Or what's your uh, sort of subfield of theology, Right. Traditionally, uh, there's they had nothing like the modern divisions of the various subdisciplines. So the question about, well, what's a study of spirituality or what's a study of spiritual theology for a large part of Christian history wouldn't even the question wouldn't even make sense. Right? What, does, what does that even mean? Right. So there's a number of different 
term, you know, a lot of different terminology we could use, right? So spirituality, which is what, you know, what we're calling this class, what I was told this class is called, right? Mystical theology, ascetical theology, the study of the interior life, spiritual theology, right? All, all manner of different, you know, you could probably come up with half a dozen more. But if we, but two of the more typical terms apart from spirituality or spiritual theology, are, are the first two that I mentioned. So mystical theology and ascetical theology. So mysticism, asceticism. Looking first at the ascetical, which is used for so our, our first passage here, right? in, in the Greek, right, eschesis means you know, a number of different things, of course. It means to strive, it means to be at pains to accomplish something, to practice something with a name for perfection. It's later associated with the struggle for uh, virtue, to attain virtue. So Paul frequently uses this language, and he, he uses language associated with combat or physical training or athletics. Right? He doesn't always use that particular Greek vocabulary word, but you can, you can understand the concept that he's talking about in a passage such as 1 Corinthians 9. So in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I pommel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So you see in a passage like that for Paul, right, he's relating how an athlete trains himself for a physical battle. Right? And of course, Paul's point is, well, if, if we're going to do this with our sort of materiality, our physical body, how much more so would we do this with that which is imperishable? So this idea that ascasis, our striving to practice something with a name for perfection, would be all the more important in the struggle both for you know, acquired virtues and also for the spiritual life as well. As far as the term, as far as mystical theology, a much more maybe broadly used term, especially in the early church. So in Greek, mysterion means something hidden. Uh, it's often associated with liturgical and sacramental rites of the early church. We talk, we talk about the mysteries. Um, I think this is that Ambrose's sort of Ambrose's treatment on the sacraments or on the mysteries, I think. Um, it is also used by Paul a number of times in the context of God's plan for salvation. So in letter to the Romans specifically, right at the end, I think it's Romans 16 something. He uses the word mystery, he talks about the mystery that's been revealed that was hidden from ages past, sort of calling back to the way, the, the way that Daniel Prophet Daniel, the book of Daniel, uses this term mystery in its sort of apocalyptic section. So Paul uses it to refer to the whole theological economy, right? the context of God's plan for salvation, or with regard to man's relation to God. For example, he talks about the mystery of Christ in the church in Ephesians chapter 5, talking about the, the spousal analogy between husband and wife, the relationship of God to his creation, especially the elect. Eventually, this sort of mystical language 
comes to refer comes to have three principal references liturgical exegetical and theological so the liturgical referent often as i mentioned refers to worship and the sacraments the exegetical reference that this mystical terminology refers to is of course the spiritual interpretation of scripture so allegory typology uh, etc right so you can talk about often they'll talk about the mystical reading of scripture which is what we mean by the sort of spiritual senses and then finally the theological right referring to the deepening of one's knowledge of the mysteries of the faith in the first few centuries in the patristic period right it's dionysius pseudo dionysius i suppose if that's your preferred terminology uh, dionysius is the most well-known proponent of the language and concept of the mystical in the patristic period it's used more often for the Greek fathers, for those writing in the Greek and Eastern tradition, than those in the West. But in the early, uh, early in the medieval and early modern period, it's associated often with the Carmelite tradition. Once you get to, you know, sort of post post Reformation, and it's we tend to speak about the mystics as those whose lives or writings portray evidence of heroic virtue, deep intimacy with God, the overwhelming experiences of infused contemplation, things like this. In a contemporary context, ironically, it might be Garigou Lagrange who treats the mystical and contemplative in the most depth. Of course, if you are familiar with his work, right, it's, it doesn't come as a surprise to you. Right? But of course, the character of, you know, Garigou as the you know sacred monster of Neo-Thomism right, is actually the one who really brings the Carmelite tradition, especially, into contact with the perennial philosophy and tradition. In the Second Vatican Council, right there, we, we often read or hear or are told, right, well, the Vatican II invents the universal call to holiness, right? This is its sort of claim to fame in, in many ways. But it really is just the explicit articula articulation of scripture and tradition. So the, the universal call to holiness that we read about in our sort of expounded upon in the Second Vatican Council, really just enshrines magisterially what figures like Francis de Sales and Garigou had been preaching, right? That there is a single path to Christian perfection, and that is just union with Christ. It's the telos of the Christian life infused at baptism, right? So that this universal call isn't meant to be, and we'll get to this later, it's not meant to be this sort of only for the chosen few, right? This is one of sort of Garagou's contributions, right, that he reminds the church that, no, this is something that you are meant, that all are meant to achieve, right? This sort of perfection of sanctity isn't a special grace. It's simply the natural outflowing of sanctifying grace given in baptism. So we could ask the question, are these terms interchangeable, right? Are mystical and ascetical, or are these interchangeable terms, they really mean the same thing? Do they bring us different ideas? Some tend to treat them as synonyms, so different authors will treat them as simply interchangeable, right? So it really just depends on who you're reading, how they're using them. Um, some authors tend to treat them as two steps in the progress in spiritual life. This is relatively common, it seems to me, where they'll talk about sort of on the path to Christian perfection, you have to go through the ascetical before you get to the mystical. So the ascetical would be as a step on the way towards mystical participation 
where purgation and growth in virtue as preliminary, ascetical, to infuse contemplation and union of the soul with God, mystical. Um, Others tend to treat them as two different modes of the spiritual life, where they're not contrary, but they they are quite different. So where ascetical theology, for instance, would tend to track the development through the three stages in relation to the working of the ordinary gifts of grace, whereas mystical theology would track the spiritual life according to special gratuitous graces, right? So maybe the ascetical mode versus the mystical mode might give us the distinction between right those on the way versus those who are already perfect, right? They're receiving something particular that maybe the rest don't receive in just simply sanctifying grace, if that makes sense. So to sum up, there's no established language that's universally adopted right, across the board. Spiritual theology has the advantage of uniting these two aspects. Right? So if we talk about spiritual theology as a whole, that kind of has a, a kind of advantage, but of course it you know, has its own flaws as well. So the question, of course, might be, is there a non-spiritual theology? Right? Um, that would be kind of a, a flaw, right? You would hope that all theology is ultimately spiritual. But nevertheless, the science of spiritual theology is generally concerned with Christian perfection and the supernatural end of man, that is, the be it our hopeful, hopefully beatific communion with the triune God. Uh, questions so far? Yeah, I think this, this, this is more sort of the way that we've dealt with this in sort of contemporary times, I think so. Um, I'm sure that you could find in individual authors, again, it's just, it's so broad, it's really hard to talk about it in, in a way that's, that's too encompassing. Um, but I think that in general, what was the second, um, the idea where they are, they're, they're synonyms, that seems relatively common, especially earlier, right, when there's less, or less distinctions. Uh, I, I don't know too many I don't personally, maybe, maybe maybe some of you do, I don't know too many who then go to the other extreme where they're really two separate, right? They're two separate modes all the way through to the end. Um, it seems to me most typical that if they're treated as not interchangeable, it does track more, I think, to refer to sort of the initial stages and growth in the spiritual life as ascetical, right? In order to to prepare for the mystical, which which tends to make sense, right? We we don't we on the one hand we don't want to say well, in our and it's, you know I guess come to the grace lectures for this, right? It, out of our own nature, we can kind of merit grace, right? So like if I work hard enough on myself and sort of you know purge myself of this, then God will give me this. But at the same time, right, there is a kind of preparation for grace that occurs by grace, where if you take you know the three stages of the spiritual life as sort of laid out typically. Right, the if we talk about purgation, right, that would seem to track really with the ascetical life versus through to the mystical life. I think the only thing would be that once you the difference might be, now that I think this out a little bit more, that it would seem that the spiritual life would always involve some aspect of asceticism, but perhaps not always that kind of mystical union at least experientially, right? Not that it's like, um, that you just would never achieve it, right? But that you would always want to retain something ascetical, even if at the beginning stages, you're not really talking too much about sort of mystical union, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, so what is spirituality? 
On the one hand, I'm sure you've, if not heard this firsthand, right, at least are aware of the way that a lot of contemporary secular people treat spirituality, right? I'm spiritual, I'm not religious, right? There's this dichotomy that's sort of split between, well, there's, you can be spiritual or you can be religious, and those are two kind of two totally separate things. On the one hand, our human nature makes spiritual experiences universal, right? So it's not as though you need to be a baptized Christian to have a spiritual life in a sort of broad sense, right? We know there's other religions, there's other ways that God can work outside of baptism and the sacraments. We know that because of what human nature is, right, we're ordered to God, where we have a spiritual aspect of our of, of who we are as human beings, right? So that spirituality, in a sense, is universal. On the other hand, the only true spirituality is that centered in and ordered towards union with Christ. So this is where our Nostra Aetate quotation comes in. Uh, other religions found everywhere try to counter the restlessness of the human heart, each in its own manner, by proposing ways, comprising teachings, rules of life, and sacred rites. The Catholic Church rejects nothing that is true and holy in these religions. She regards with sincere reverence those ways of conduct and of life, those precepts and teachings which, though differing in many aspects from the ones she holds and sets forth, nonetheless often reflect a ray of that truth which enlightens all men. Indeed, she proclaims and ever must proclaim Christ the way, the truth, and the life, in whom men may find the fullness of religious life, in whom God has reconciled all things to himself. So on the one hand, authentic spirituality is Christian spirituality. It will be a kind of vine and branches spirituality, if you will, right? Finding our root in Christ. On the other hand, you know, something that is true is that, right, what Christ says, you know, the only way to the Father is through me, but he doesn't say the only way to God is through me, right? There's There's a specification right there. The way to know who God is personally is through me, through Christ, right? But because of our created gifts, right, as spiritual creatures, there is a sense in which all those who seek for the truth, it is kind of a, they have their own spiritual journey, right, as kind of uh, blasé as that sounds or has been made to sound in, you know, our culture. Now, the difficulty of constructing a theology of the spiritual life is that the difficulty is that the spiritual life is at once a mystery and a problem. So how is it a mystery, right? In Colossians, Paul states, your life is hidden now with Christ in God. A very sort of confusing statement, right? Your life is hidden now with Christ in God. So union comes with its own experience of transcendence. This is true. But there's an ineffability to the spiritual life, right? Paul talks about his experience of the third heaven, He says, I know a man. Most people think it was just Paul talking about himself. So he talks about his own experience of the third heaven. We talk about the the cloud of unknowing or the sort of dark brilliance of our experience of God, of the divine light. So there's a mysteriousness to it. And there's also a bit of a problem to talking about spiritual, spiritual theology or spirituality in the sense that while the spiritual life is one of experience, We're coming at it from a scientific perspective in the sense that we're attempting to 
sort of constructor scientia, right, a, a, a science, a field of knowledge, right, something that can be kind of objective, right, so you're talking about something practical and objective, right, how do we construct a body of knowledge, we can say true things that are consistent, and at the same time, take into account the fact that what we're talking about is eminently practical in the sense that it's experienced, right, so you have the speculative and the practical together in a way that's treating something that for when we're reading, when you think, okay, well, you know, how do I understand what it means to live the spiritual life? We usually we think of right, we're reading the saints, right? But in that sense, there's a kind of back and forth between the theologians and the saints, right? This sort of one of the problems that we'll encounter, not, not a bad problem, but just a problem that we have to, to figure out. He may have used this, I remember a number of years ago, and I, I, I honestly, I probably feel bad. I don't remember what the talk was about at all, right? It was um, by Father Thomas Joseph White. So I don't remember what the talk was supposed to be about at all. I really don't. But I do remember the, an image that he uses. He may have used this elsewhere in a book or in another talk or something. He talks about the relationship between the theologian and the mystic being like that of someone flying a kite and a kite, right? So the mystic is the kite, sort of there, out, they're up, right? They're experiencing the sort of the buffeting of the wind and they're the ones, but it's the theologian who needs to hold on to the, the string of the kite, right? So without theology, without the theologian, the kite can just float away, right? It's going to be sort of taken whithersoever the wind will go, right? So there's this kind of tension that occurs between the one holding the kite and the kite, right? But that's a necessary tension. There's, there's two exist in tension, but it's a good tension. Thanks for listening to episode one of Christian Spirituality. For more episodes and to check out our entire archive, check out theologyandreality.substack.com. See you next time.